Welcome to Real Life Church. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us online at reallifeankeny.org. Now let's join this week's service already in progress. All righty. It's good to see you all here today. Let's see here, it's 10.30 roughly, so I think everybody's here. You know, we'll see here in a little bit if anybody shows up. Um, glad to see you all here today, though. Um, just uh, a huge blessing. Um, this body blesses me greatly, so thank you, each and every one of you, and um, just continuing to, to seek the Lord together, to, to grow deeper in Him, and... Um, just to serve him out of love. I think that's one of the things that I know God's really been teaching me this week is um, just to, to serve him out of love. Um, he loved us first, and if I truly understood that, I mean, you know, it's going to affect everything I do. And um, just thinking about even when I met my wife and we started dating, you know, I was like, I wanted to tell everybody about my wife, you know. And I kind of think about that with God, you know. Do I want to tell everybody about God? I mean, do I love God in such a way that his love and my relationship with him affects everything. Um, not that I'm out um, being a Pharisee about things and, and preaching works, but that I'm just, I mean, it just is an overflow of my love for him. And um, I'm just really asking the Lord to, to, to implant that in me, to, to, to change the areas of my life that aren't there. And um, so that's what God's really teaching me. Um, so today, uh, Reed's going to preach out of Matthew. It's in your uh, bulletin, and uh, if you want to read along with me, Matthew twenty-eight sixteen through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, where Jesus told, had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Father God, I thank you for this this word. I thank you for your word, God. And just um, even as I read this this morning, thinking about when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. God, I ask that we would be people who would worship. God, that any seeds of doubt that exist in our in our lives about you and um, your relevance in our lives, and God, the ways maybe that we've prayed for something that hasn't turned out the way that um, we've wanted it to, and seeds of doubt have crept in, God, um, we just ask that those would be removed, God, and replaced with a true understanding of who you are and your love for us, God, that um, you say in here that you are with us to the very end of the age. And I just pray, God, that um, as Reed preaches this morning, that um, your word would um, just be, continue to be implanted in us, continue to be brought to life within us, God, and that we would understand um, that that you are with us, even when we don't feel that or think that, that um, you are with us, and that it would just be um, very, very real and apparent to us that um, you are with us, that you love us, and that that would then impact everything that we do and all those we come in contact with. So we ask that you would um, fill, read with your spirit, fill us with your spirit to hear. God, um, to hear and apply and to be changed. 
And God, that your word would be proclaimed, your message would go forth, and that we would be your disciples in all the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Matt. Good morning. Quite a few years ago, I knew a guy who was a salesman for Bethlehem Steel Company. Uh, he told me a story I never forgot. It was a meeting with the CEO of his company and their management team and salesmen. And the CEO asked this question, what is the mission of Bethlehem Steel? And everybody said, well, it's to make steel, of course. And at that time, they were the second largest steel producer in the U.S. Then the CEO stunned everybody by saying, to make steel is not our mission. Our mission is to make money. We do that through making steel. Well, in 2001, Bethlehem Steel went bankrupt. Uh, The company was, was dissolved. There's a casino now where it used to be. And they never made steel again. Uh, I don't know all the reasons why, but obviously they did not keep to their most basic mission, which was to be profitable. I always remember that story because I think of how easy it is to forget why we are doing what we do and what we are really to be doing. And so this morning I want to ask this question, what is the mission of the church? What is the mission of Real Life Church? Is it to have a worship music and a sermon and Sunday school for the kids every Sunday? Uh, Is the purpose of the church to provide activities, family activities? Um, And you could put in a whole bunch of other things there. Well, we do these things, but Jesus said the mission of the church is to make disciples. The church is to develop people who will follow Jesus. After his resurrection, Jesus called a meeting with the 11 remaining disciples at a mountain outside of Galilee. The Lord said to them, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me, therefore go and make disciples. When Jesus said to make disciples, what did he mean? I think he meant the same thing that he had taught for three years about being a disciple. There obviously was going to be fuller understandings of what that meant with his death, burial, and the resurrection, the coming of the Holy Spirit. But I still think when Jesus said, make disciples, he meant make the kind of disciples that I've called you to be. Jesus had said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily And follow me. If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother, his wife and children, his brother and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. To kind of add some clarification to that, he also said in another place, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. To be a disciple means that nothing and nobody is more important to you than Jesus, not even your own self. 
It is a call to die to self and to find your life by losing it. It means that you view, view Jesus as master and Lord. You view Jesus as having all authority. Jesus said a disciple is not above his teacher. A disciple takes a place of complete submission as a learner, as a follower of Jesus Christ and his teaching. Paul put it this way later in the New Testament, we are no longer to live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. Communicated, I think, the same thing when he said, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So we are called to a total surrender, a total abandonment, a total giving of ourselves over to Jesus. And as a church, we are to call people into this kind of relationship with the Lord. And this is what we are to do on Sunday mornings. This is what we are to do in youth group, in men's and women's Bible studies. All the ministries and activities of the church should in some way help accomplish this goal. This is also the goal in our homes. And I emphasize this because of how many kids and young people we have in our church. Parents, your goal is not just that your children would someday ask Jesus into their heart. It is to make them disciples. Your goal is not just to keep your kids in line with rules. Your goal is not just to make them or turn them into good kids. You are to seek to make them followers of Jesus. Kids who love Jesus, who understand that he is first place in everything. Many Christian parents clearly communicate to their kids that there is a whole list of things that really are more important than Jesus. And you, you cannot expect your children to become disciples of Jesus when they are taught year after year after year that other things, be it success in sports or being accepted socially or getting into the best university or whatever, is really what matters. Kids pick up what we communicate to them about what is really important, what really is our mission. In many cases, we actually train our kids not to be disciples of Jesus. Making disciples involves a conversion experience. I mean, people need to be born again. I mean, that is really, really important. But Jesus did not say just to make converts. He said to make disciples. We are not just to settle to get people to pray a prayer and then not really care that much about what happens after that. As someone put it, we are not just to bring the grain into the barn, we are to bake the bread. We are to take people from sinners to saints, from babes to full maturity in Christ. Paul put it this way, we proclaim Christ admonishing and teaching every man, every man, woman, and child with all wisdom so that we may present everyone complete in Christ. And the interesting thing that I see not only in Jesus' statement, but in many of Paul's statements, is there's really no division between evangelism and discipleship. 
he he is after teaching every man from to to enter into this whole process of being made perfect in Christ. Our mission is every man, woman, and child mature or perfect in Christ. This mission spans the entire process from working with people when they are lost in sin and without Christ to the place of bringing every area of life under the authority of the teaching of Jesus. We are to teach all people to obey all of the word of God. And as I said and illustrated in my opening story, it is so easy to lose sight of this mission as a church. With all my problems, and with all your problems, and with all the things that you and I have to do just to get through each day, with health issues, with kid issues, with perhaps marriage issues, and even just doing church activities each week, we can easily lose our focus. We must remember that we are called to make disciples. We are in the disciple-making business. Some may ask, well, why teach this on a series on the church? And we are still in our series on the church. I believe that disciple-making should take place in the church, and I don't mean just in the church building, but it should take place in the church family and from go out. the message of discipleship should go out from the church family. But it takes place within the church, the assembly of God's people. It is, it is not a special class that you go and take somewhere to learn a lot of things that are not found in the Bible. It is not some special secret manual that we follow. It takes place in the life and in the fellowship and in the relationships of the church. This is how the apostles did it in the New Testament. As people believed in Christ, the apostles formed them into churches. And in the churches, they were continually nourished on the words of Jesus, taught to obey the Lord, and taught to live a life pleasing to the Lord. In other words, they were discipled in the church. It is not just the elders or pastors who are to take part in this. Making disciples is something we do together. And it is something that we can only do together. The part that each one of us can do is, is often so small, unless you're just outstandingly gifted. So the part that each one of us can do is so, so seemingly small, we desperately need to join up with one another, to lock arms together, to make disciples. So we devote ourselves to the body, and this is one of the core reasons that we devote ourselves together as the body of Christ. One of the core reasons that we devote ourselves to the church family is to make disciples together. Together we are witnesses for Christ. Together we help teach and encourage people to be discipled. I know I certainly can't do it alone, and you probably can't either. There are three other key words in this passage that we, we must address. The first is go. Uh, we are to make disciples everywhere and anywhere in the whole world. Jesus' ministry was deliberately restricted primarily to the Jewish people. 
he was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. He did not go to Rome and try to preach the gospel of the kingdom. He did not go to Egypt or some other place. But as he approaches the end of his life, well, and, and he's already been crucified. He's risen from the dead. He is ready to ascend to heaven and send forth the Holy Spirit upon us. And he's saying, now things have changed. Now there is no place on earth where the gospel should not be preached. No place on earth where disciples should not be made. There's no race, no religion, no group of people who should not hear the gospel. The gospel should go to all the world. Not all of us will be gifted and called to go, but we all should be willing to go. And we can be involved in making disciples right where we are, which is also part of the world. I mean, where we are, where God has put you, is part of the world. And that is part of a place where we can make disciples. We certainly can support those who do go, such as Brian and Mandy. And I just shared uh, about Rami uh, over in the Middle East with his mission to Muslims. We are, but we are to go. We are to have this sense that we are, we are called uh, to be people who go. We are to go to those in our own circle of influence, to, f- to friends, to family members, to, to cousins, perhaps brothers or sisters. We are to go to co-workers and other people that we know as the Spirit leads and open doors. We're, we're to be ready, to, we're to, be, to have that consciousness that we are people on the go. To others for Jesus' sake. We are to make disciples in our homes. You know, we have so many people, so many families here in our church who have adopted children. I mean, what a great method of evangelism and discipleship. I mean, you've got just a tremendous opportunity to bring these dear children who have uh, had such a, usually a horrible start in life, and would have had a very horrible life if you hadn't brought them into your homes. And they are entrusted to you in a sense. And you, part of your mission is not just to raise them, to help them grow up, feed and clothe. But to make them disciples, followers of Jesus. And this might surprise you, but you can go to people you meet right here on Sunday morning. I mean, there are people uh, that come through our church from Sunday to Sunday, that need people to go to them and to help them and to reach them and to show the love of Jesus to them, to clarify and proclaim even the gospel to them and lead them into a discipled relationship with Christ. The second word here is baptize. Part of our job as a church, Jesus said, is to baptize people. We are to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you have decided to follow Jesus, this is where you begin. This is where you begin to be a disciple. You get baptized out of obedience to Jesus. I understand that baptism is not an easy thing to do. But part of making disciples is leading people to the point that they make a public confession of their union with Christ by being baptized. And so we call you to that. That's why we call people to be baptized. It's not, it's not because it's something that we necessarily want to do. It's something that Jesus has commanded that we are to go into the, all the world, make disciples, 
And part of that step, part of that process is baptizing people. So if you have come into the church and now you have believed on Jesus Christ, then be baptized. Young people who've grown up in church and now now you know that you know Jesus Christ, then be baptized. Uh, there are some here this morning that perhaps the, the right application for this whole message would be to come up to me or Josh and say, I want to be baptized. I want to be a disciple of Jesus and I see that that's part of that step, part of that process. I need to be baptized. The third word is teach. The church is commissioned to teach people to follow, to love, and to obey Jesus. As Jesus said, we are to teach all that he has commanded. And all that includes not only what he taught through the Gospels, but all that he continued to reveal to the apostles who taught those things. We are to teach all of that. And all you have to do is read the New Testament and you see the tremendous amount of teaching that there is for disciples or for the followers of Jesus. There's so much that we need to know and to learn and to grow in. I mean, it's like a, a never, never ending fountain of an infinite knowledge and understanding that we need to come to in our relationship with Christ and uh, following Jesus and just knowing all that the Lord has revealed to us. And so we are to teach the word. And just to kind of help us put what we do in terms of this focus, I want to put it this way. If we are to be a disciple-making church, we should have disciple-making sermons. Uh, Our messages should communicate the gospel to people. Uh, They should give a clear understanding of what the Lord has said to us. You know, when you walk, if we were to teach people to observe or to obey all that Jesus commanded, I mean, part of what we do on Sunday, you should be able to leave here on a Sunday morning after the message with a clear understanding of what the Lord has said to us, what he is calling out to you, and how to put that into actual practice. We are not here primarily to teach some theological system. We are not here primarily to get you to conform uh, to uh, some system of theology or just to give you biblical information. Uh, we, are, we are here to make disciples in our teaching. We are to have disciple-making worship. Our worship should proclaim the good news. It should proclaim the gospel. It should pro- proclaim the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. And I thought, I, I knew I was going to make this point this morning. I thought how appropriate our words were in our songs this morning to making disciples. I mean, you could become a disciple really just by listening to the words of the music and, and uh, not only singing that, but letting that become the very expression of your heart and mind and will. Disciple-making, we should have disciple-making small groups and Bible studies. Uh, People should be formed into followers of Jesus who observe and obey all that the Lord said to us. Youth groups, any any things that we do should be seen to fall into a part of this mission. Uh, You know, the youth, man, they should and they can have fun, play games. Youth can be crazy. But the purpose we can never get away from or should never get away from is it is to make disciples, to develop young men and women who will deny themselves, take up their cross, 
and follow Jesus. But making disciples does not just happen in a large group or in like official uh, church activities. Many people, or even most people, come to Christ one by one through ordinary relationships. I read a quote this week that says, No better method of evangelism has been developed over the centuries than one Christian telling one unsaved friend how he can know the joy of full salvation in Christ. And most people are also furthered in that relationship with Christ. Most people are discipled and grow in their relationship with Christ in the context of relationships with either either one-on-one or in small groups where they where there's the, where relationships and closeness help facilitate us to be disciples of Jesus perhaps our greatest need to become better at making disciples is what I will call disciple-making affection. We, we might just call this love for people, but I'm going to call it disciple-making affection. Paul demonstrated this so beautifully in First, First Thessalonians. He was writing to the Thessalonian church, to the believers there, and he said, you know, we never came to you with flattering speech, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives as well, because you were so dear to us. You know that we dealt with each one of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. If you want to know how to make disciples or to become better at making disciples, think in terms of what Paul just said there. Think in terms of being becoming a mother and a father to some people or maybe to one person. Loving them as a mother would love her own children, like Paul said, treating them as a father would treat his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging them. To live lives worthy of God. That is, that's how we make disciples. And, and honestly, I don't think we'll ever, we can ever make disciples with having, without having that kind of heart. And probably the best application for many of us this morning would be just to cry out, God, give me, give me a mother's love and a father's heart for someone or for some group of people. You know, Paul said, We were delighted to share the gospel with you. We were delighted to share the gospel with you. Because you were so dear to us. You know, what a statement. What a motive for becoming involved in people's lives. If we are going to be disciples and make disciples, we do need to know the gospel. Sometimes I think we have been in the church for so long, heard so many sermons, and yet could we say, what is the gospel? What do people need to hear? 
D.L. Moody had what he called the three R's of the gospel. Just a way of helping to remember it. And I think we need to, we need to know the gospel. We need to, we need to have it in our heart, in our soul. Uh, and so that it's just right there on the tip of our tongue. The, the three words that he had were ruined, redeemed, and regenerated. Ruined by the fall, redeemed by the blood, regenerated by the spirit. And I'm going to add a fourth, and that is respond with repentance and faith. Ruined by the fall. When man fell into sin in the Garden of Eden, because of that sin, the whole human race was condemned and lost. Sin has brought untold misery and heartache into our lives. But our our problem is not just that we are unhappy or discontent or miserable. But our sin has doomed us to judgment, to eternal death, and separation from God. So the first word of the gospel is ruined. We've been ruined by the fall. The second word of the gospel is redeemed. We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. On the cross, Jesus became our redeemer, the one who has taken our sin and our guilt on himself. He's the one who satisfied the judgment, the wrath of God against our sin. So the gospel is not just that Jesus loves you or that he wants to be your friend. He certainly does. But it's not just that. It is that Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, came down, sent from God who loved us so much that he sent his Son to die on the cross to forgive our sins and to release us from our sins. Second word is redeemed. The third word is regenerated. Regenerated by the Holy Spirit. The gospel does not just say be a good person. We are not asking you to just be good. We are not asking you to just be a moral person and stop doing bad things. We are calling you to be born again. We are calling you to new life. The gospel enables you to become a new person. The risen Lord Jesus Christ comes to live within us through the Holy Spirit. There is new birth, new life, new power to live a life pleasing to the Lord. And we must respond. Obviously, the message throughout the Word of God is God commands us to repent and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And so that is our message to the world. Ruined, but redeemed, regenerated and the need the need to respond two questions or two other questions there's probably a lot of questions this passage raises i mean this is really a challenging passage and I, I feel stretched to even begin to do it justice this morning but two questions that this passage raises to me what right do we have to make disciples i mean what right do we have to call people to be disciples of Jesus? What right do we have to call people to repent, to believe, to be baptized, to follow Christ? I mean, isn't that being quite presumptuous? Isn't that being intolerant to tell people they need to believe and follow Christ? What gives us the right to ask people such obedience to Jesus? What right do we have to tell anybody that they should change their whole way of thinking and living? Because Jesus said, 
All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus has rightful authority over everyone, everywhere. And he also has the, the authority over us to say, go and make disciples, to call people to follow me. So we can call people to Jesus with a sense of confidence because Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And out of that authority, he has commissioned us as ambassadors, as representatives of him in this world. The second question, which I'm going to address a little bit in more length, is this. This all sounds very hard. How could we possibly do it? Now, maybe that this, this doesn't strike you this way. But, you know, when Jesus says, you know, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. I, honestly, probably my first response is, uh, are you kidding me? I mean, that's, that's kind of an overwhelming assignment, wouldn't you say? I don't know what the 11 were thinking uh, when they heard this, but it wouldn't surprise me if they were kind of elbowing each other and saying, is he kidding us? How in the world are we going to make disciples out of sinful, selfish, lost human beings who often do not even want to hear? Uh, I don't know how you feel about the assignment. Uh, I feel a little bit like, a, as the saying goes, a babe in the woods. I mean, I feel completely inadequate. And I don't stand up here certainly as a professional, like I've got this all scoped out, handled, and if you have any questions, just ask me. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not coming to you with that attitude at all. I truly feel deeply inadequate. And I think before we get to some of the answers to that, I, I do think we have to acknowledge that the task of making disciples is not easy. Uh, to communicate the gospel to people, to bring them to the point of baptism, to teach people to obey Jesus is, is not easy. Uh, for most of us, even seeking to win one genuine convert or to help one person is a, is a monumental, monumental and perhaps even a scary task. Uh, it requires tremendous perseverance and spiritual power. Norman Grubb, who was a missionary in the Belgium Congo back in the 1920s, wrote this. He said, to get one soul saved, absolutely, genuinely saved, saved from lust and lying and laziness and self-seeking and loving Jesus with all his heart is a tremendous achievement. Anyone who knows the Congo knows that. And when he looked back at the fruit of their ministry in the Congo, he said, there is a few glorious shining lights among them but so many weak and dark, needing a lifetime of prayer and toil and teaching to present them perfect in Christ Jesus. You know, I love the reality of that because you get so many uh, reports here from the mission field that you know are just put in kind of super glowing terms, and this is just so real. It takes a lifetime of prayer and toil and teaching to do that. Paul himself put it this way, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I mean, he, he communicated there's there sort of this agonizing 
painful aspect of getting Christ formed in people. So how can we do this at all? Well, Jesus said, truly, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am so glad that Jesus said that and the other promises that he gave with the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus left us. He, After this, in a sense, overwhelming instruction, he left us with the assurance of his help and presence to the very end of our lives and to the very end of the age. And certainly throughout the Gospels and the New Testament, we see that we are not left in any way on our own or, or in our own strength to do this. And as soon as we look at it this way, that way, this command, this instruction will scare us, it will defeat us, it will overwhelm us, we'll just feel like, we'll just feel like we, we can't do it. But Jesus has promised his presence to be with us. Even the Apostle Paul said, I labor according to his mighty power at work within me. So when we look at this command, let's not look too much at our own weakness. Let's not, sometimes I think we can get in trouble just even trying to figure out how can I do this? You know, I think we just need to keep our eyes on the Lord and say, okay, Jesus, this is what you told me to do. I offer myself to you. I don't know how I'm going to be used in this, but you have promised your might to be with me to the very end of the age, and you have promised your mighty power at work within me, and so I'm going to look to you to help me be a disciple maker. I'm going to help you, ask you to give me the heart of a disciple maker, the affection of a disciple maker, and somehow help me to be play a part in this process. And just real briefly, I want to look at how the Lord fulfilled that promise to be with them, uh, even to his even to the uh, apostles. And I think when Paul spoke to the women gathered to pray by the river in Philippi. It says, you know, Paul shared his message, but it says the Lord opened Lydia's heart to respond to the things that Paul spoke. It was like the, Paul was speaking there, but the Lord was right there with him. The Lord, though unseen, the Lord was there. The Lord reached into Lydia's heart and opened her heart to respond to the things that Paul spoke. In Acts 2 it, t- it talks about how the believers, it says that they were attending the, the, the temple daily. They were breaking bread in homes. They received their food with gladness of heart. They were praising God. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's like, wow, that's an interesting method of dis- making disciples. They're uh, going to the temple. They're worshiping. Uh, they're breaking bread. Uh, they're receiving their food with, with joy. And the Lord... The Lord was with them, though, and the Lord is the one who can add people to their number. There's just so many illustrations in Scripture of how the Lord was at work. When Philip uh, was told by the, by the Lord or by an angel of the Lord to go, he was go, told to go down a certain street, and then the Holy Spirit told him to go and stand by a certain chariot. And 
the guy who was in the chariot just happened to be an, this important Ethiopian official, and he just happened to be reading Isaiah. I mean, what a setup. The Lord was with them, enabling them to do that. That's the Lord at work. In Acts chapter 10, Peter, Peter was invited by a Gentile. Peter was invited by Cornelius. He was invited to go to somebody's home and to preach the gospel. I mean, you know the Lord is at work when an unbeliever invites you to come over and tell his family and friends about Jesus. I mean, that's the Lord at work. Healings were a part of it. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. He didn't say, I heal you. He said, the Lord is right here, and the Lord Jesus Christ heals you. And immediately he rose, and it says, all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. I mean, just the Lord was at work in this. And I don't think this means that we can't do anything without a miracle, but it does mean that the Lord is with us, and we should look for his supernatural help, his naturally supernatural help, however you want to put it, in helping us to make disciples. All right, I just want to close with focusing our eyes and our hearts on on these, these applications, which we've already talked about. Number one, let's seek together to develop a culture here at Real Life Church where we are passionate for people to hear the gospel. Just to begin thinking that, you know, Jesus uses people like me to reach others. A statement I read back when I was in college that has always stayed with me. It's always challenged me to reach out to people. It's also been an encouragement when I feel like I haven't done as much as I should. But it was a statement by C.T. Studd. And he said, I would rather, you have to remember the age in which this was written. This this was written back in the late 1800s. But C.T. Studd said, I would rather lead one soul to Christ than to be Queen Victoria. Now, you can put that in different terms for today. You can say, I would rather lead one soul to Christ than to be the President of the United States or be the richest man in America. That was his heart. Number two, develop a church culture where we are passionate to disciple people into real, genuine, lifelong followers of Jesus. People who will take up their cross and follow Jesus for a lifetime. Be passionate about being, being involved in, uh, into discipling people into that kind of real, genuine, lifelong followers. One of the reasons I am committed to the church is because I am compelled by Jesus uh, to be involved in making disciples. And how, however imperfectly we have done it, and I, I, you know, I think we've done it pretty imperfectly, however uh, inadequate or how, no matter how small I feel my gifts are in doing that, I choose, I have chosen to be faithful to a community of people who are seeking to follow Jesus and to, the, and to do the best that we can to call others to follow Jesus too. I think when some people hear the Great Commission, they they think that uh, oh, I'm going to wait for this this uh, sensational call to go to another country, uh, and that can it can start that way with with some. 
But I, for most of us, I don't think it starts with a, you know, a, a call to go to wherever, China or whatever. It starts with being available to play a part. It starts with saying, here I am, Lord, use me. And as I say that, I know that there's a young man in our church who already feels called to China. And so praise God for that. And there may be others who are called to go to different places, to different people groups. But I'm just saying, don't necessarily wait for something that that big. Just, it starts with being available to play a part. It starts with saying, here I am, Lord, use me. God, I don't know exactly what it is or where it is, but I'm here. I'm listening. I'm yours. And allow him to move us and lead us. Uh, to be involved in this process. So let's let's lock our arms together and say together that we want more people to come to Christ. Uh, let's go for it together. Let's lock our arms together that say that we want to make disciples together. Uh, if we can't do what other other people can do, let's not become discouraged by that let's do what we can trusting in the lord and his mighty power and the holy spirit to enable us uh, to fulfill what jesus instructed us to do here let's pray father uh, we thank you for this word we thank you for this instruction of jesus and we thank you for the grace and the power of the indwelling Christ through his through the Holy Spirit to help us do this. We thank you so much, Lord, that you have promised to be with us to the end of the age, and that in whatever whatever we do in seeking to make disciples, you are right there with, with us every moment and every step of the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for getting...